0: And word's out. I hear, uh, as a matter of fact, I hear that um, if you don't volunteer at Timberline, you should just for a couple days so you can come on Friday night because it's going to be a highlight. So we're going to have a lot of fun. But how are you doing? Is it snowing yet? No? Okay. Well, I hear it's coming, so I guess we'll just live with whatever happens. But uh, it is just great to see you, and uh, you're looking great, singing good, and worshiping God. God bless you in that. uh, It's really exciting news. I love giving good news. And if you are out in the hall, especially on this side over here, uh, the Arts Center, we have started deconstruction and construction with the Open Spaces campaign. Genesis Project is open. That's where half of that money went. And now we're remodeling. We're completely remodeling the Youth Center and the Children's Center. And we're looking at about 15 weeks here Where, how many of you have ever done a remodel? You know, it can be kind of messy. So be patient, okay? But uh, it's really exciting. We are giving our hearts and our lives as a church to saying, young people matter, teenagers matter, children matter. Those of you who are parents of children or teenagers, just be excited and uh, know that we are creating space because of our love for them. That's very unique. And so... uh, Pray for our teenagers, our young people in this journey. It should be a really fun time when it's all finally done. I uh, am going to continue our series. We have this interesting series. A couple of weeks, Pastor Jeff kicked us off called Blessed to Bless. And I hope you know this is more than just kind of a cutesy play on words. There's, There's something powerful about blessing others when you yourself have received blessing from God. And Abram is that guy who basically was blessed by God in order to bless others. And that's what ended up happening with his life. So I've called this message collateral damage because there's some tough stuff that happens in Abram's life. I, uh, I know this weekend, this is horrible, okay, this is just horrible. I feel terrible when we plan these out. Sometimes we, we do look at the holidays and all the... This is Valentine's Day weekend. How many of you knew that? Very important that you keep track of that, okay? Especially if you have a Valentine. Um, maybe you went out to dinner last night or Friday night or tonight. You're celebrating some of it. But we did not take the time to really look at the the passage that I would be looking at this particular weekend because it's months back. And on Valentine's Day weekend, I have to bring a story to you about Abram pawning off his wife to the Pharaoh. <laughs> that, is, that is just wrong. It's just wrong. So uh, I apologize, okay? But uh, it's, it's what it is, and we're going to take a look at it. You have to understand here in this story, one of the things, many, especially if you're new in faith, or you really haven't studied the Bible much, when you read Abraham... Um, Adam and Eve, Abraham. When you when you go back that far, there is no template for them to make decisions by. There's no Ten Commandments yet. God hasn't said do this, don't do this yet. It's wide open, and and they don't have the Levitical law, which basically came like 400 years later. So so they make a lot of decisions that we sort of go, what? Didn't they know that? They shouldn't have been doing that. We have to really offer a lot of grace today and a lot of mercy today to some of the crazy decisions that Abram makes. Because I look at it and say, what were you thinking, dude? But he just didn't have what we have in terms of templates of what God blessed and what he didn't bless. And and God just basically says, go. Go to this land I'm going to give you. And Abram doesn't argue. He just says, okay, and gets his family and they take off. And all kinds of crazy stuff happens to him along the way. And today is one of those stories where you just kind of can't believe it happened, but it does happen. There's lots of love stories in the Bible. And Abram and Sarai, as we look at it today, is a challenging story. But if you're taking notes, write this down. Number one, life can feel like a battlefield. Sometimes life can feel like a battlefield. Now, what I'm going to read from this passage in Genesis is significant because Abram was told by God that God was going to give him all the land where he's walking. And he ends up in this unique place. Verse 6. Abram traveled through the land as far as Shechem... There he set up camp besides the Oak of Morah. That's a big tree that was well known, obviously, in the day. At that time, the area was inhabited by who? Canaanites. Do you know who they are? They, they are constantly, if you read Old Testament, they're constantly in war with the Israelites. They are, they're a bad group of people. They're, they're a polytheistic they, they, they worship many, many gods. One of the biggest gods they worshiped was a god called Baal. Another one was a god called El. And the rituals that go along with some of the idolatry and worship of El, especially, are, are like human sacrifice, uh, child uh, sacrifices. Terrible, terrible things. Horrible immorality, sexuality, just terrible things. And so here's Abram. Okay? God said, Go, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless those who bless you. And Abram says, I'm in for that. And he ends up living in this place surrounded by Canaanites. What is God thinking? You know, sometimes do you ever do you ever wonder what is going on around you in the world we live in? I want to I bring a, a a very important component uh, today, because in America, in America right now, we are experiencing a country that will soon be completely post-Christian if, if something doesn't radically change. We, we, are, we are seeing in front of us, we're in a generation where we are watching things happen and laws change that do not fit the moral uh, fabric of, of our desires as believers, as Jesus followers. There is basically a a pattern of walking away from the standards that are written in in the Bible. And for for us, for me, all my life, I have felt like I've lived in a nation that pretty much honored God. In God we trust. And a lot of people still do. But the challenge we have is we are seeing in front of us, if I can say, a land where we are going to become the minority, not the majority. And so our, our um, utopia, our ideals, the things that we value as the people of God, are slowly going to be disappearing. I don't like that. I don't know what I can do about that. I think we should do everything in our power to do a good job. But one of the takeaways that I have and I want to leave to you is make a decision right now as you see this Country collapse into some of that stuff don't just live angry because there's nothing worse than Christians who just live angry and Abram is blessed by God and he ends up in this pagan culture and yet he's still being obedient to God that's my heart I remember when our kids were little they all went to an elementary school called Tavelli Elementary how many of you have heard of it? great school we had a great experience there. And I remember going to a parent meeting about building a playground set. If you ever go by Tavelli, you will see a big playground out there. You can know I helped build that, okay? Just so you know. All parents got together and we would show up on Friday, Saturday, Sundays. And, and we worked for a few weekends to, to get all that done. It was a great rally. I, know, I won't forget the meeting when the parents were saying, let's do this. We'll help support it, even financially. We're going to come. Let's build it. It was just this unifying thing where all the parents were together. Then I went to another parent meeting about Halloween. And they were going to have a Halloween party. And some parents were very upset that they were using the term Halloween. And I understand Halloween's a it's a tough Deal. Depending on where you are in all this, it's a challenging holiday. And some Christians had called in and said, you shouldn't use the word Halloween. We don't celebrate that holiday and blah, blah, blah. And, and, in our, and some Christians do, some Christians don't. But depending on how you look at it. So I go to that meeting and I go in and I sit down next to this guy. Never met him before. And he introduces himself and me back to him. And then he said something very interesting. He said, well, this is going to be an interesting meeting. I said, what do you mean? He said, well, the Christians will be here. <laughs> I, I really didn't know exactly what he was saying. He obviously wasn't one. And, and he said, well, you remember the meeting about the playground? I said, yeah, it was great. And, um, and he, said, he said, they weren't at that meeting. <laughs> I didn't know where he was going. And I said, I'm still not sure what you mean. He said, well, here's the point. The Christians only come to meetings when they're mad. Wow. You guys, I don't want to be a church. I don't want to be a person that just shows up when I'm angry. I want us to roll our sleeves up and make a difference in the culture that we live in. Amen? And you're doing that. And I believe in that. Abram lived in a culture that was pagan But he was faithful to God. So let's be faithful to God. Uh, The second thing that I want to say in this outline is, what does it mean to build an altar? Because we're going to see this throughout Abram's following God. There will be several altars that are built. Last weekend, Pastor Jeff showed you a picture of what one of those altars kind of looks like. They are usually made of stone. Sometimes it's a pile of rocks. Other times it's with uh, uh, design. Some are big, some are small, but it's the idea of building an altar. Verse 7. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, I will give this land to your descendants. And Abram built an altar there and dedicated it to the Lord who had appeared to him. After that, Abram traveled south and set up camp in the hill country with Bethel to the west and I to the east. There he built another altar and dedicated it to the Lord. And he worshipped the Lord. And Abram continued traveling south by stages toward the Negev. What we see here is fascinating to me. And I want to challenge you. When was the last time that you just stopped in the middle of your life and you recognized, you paused long enough to say, God... Thank you for my journey so far. Thank you for my family. Thank you for your blessing. Thank you for the roof over my head. Thank you that I am breathing today. Thank you for what you've done. And you built an altar in a sense. Not, Probably most of you don't have an altar in your backyard that you went out and built. And I would not recommend you do that. But you could. Not as an idol, but as an altar that says... I put my stake in the ground to say, God has proven faithful to me. There are other times when they build altars because of a promise. I'm going to give all this to your descendants. Abraham's, Abraham says, I'm building an altar. Why? Because it's a, it's a moment of recognition of holding on to the promise of God. And there are some of you here today that need to build an altar. Build an altar with the hope. The hope of the promises of God impacting your life in a great way. And I encourage you to think about that. It could be a bracelet you buy or a necklace or something that reminds you. We wear rings. Uh, A wedding ring is a symbol of my love to my spouse and my faithfulness to my spouse. An altar was that to God. It's a way of saying, I remember this. I cherish this. I grew up where in church they would have, uh, the preacher would preach and then he would give a altar call. How many of you remember that? An altar call was when you came forward and knelt down at like a bench called an altar. And, and they kind of tricked you. Like evangelists would come, you know, and, and they would say, you know, if this touched you today, if God's talking to your heart, then raise your hand. And, you know, I would always raise my hand because God always touched me. And I always had stuff I needed to work out with God. And so I would always raise my hand. And then they would say, if you raised your hand, come to the altar. And then there was this big dilemma. Like, well, I don't, I didn't really sign up to go to the altar. I, I, that's in front of everybody. I just raised my hand. Then they would say, if you really meant it when you raised your hand, you'll come up here to this altar. And so I'm like, okay, I didn't really mean it. I'm sorry. The altar is that place where you get your junk, you get your stuff open before God. For some of you today, I challenge you to build an altar today. And lay it on the line. We're going to move into a part of this story that's really tough. And all of you have tough stuff going on in your life. There are issues you're going to face where you need to build an altar. Now, number three. What should we do when circumstances win? What should we do when the circumstances of our lives control our decisions? Now, you have to think about this with me for a moment. I want you to think of a time when a circumstance forced you into doing something you would not have ordinarily done. But you had to make a decision. You had to act. And this was the best decision you could make at the time knowing what you knew. That's about to happen to Abram. And it's, it's, it's not pretty. Verse 10. At that time, which is a weird statement because this is right after the promises of God, the blessing of God, and he's living around these pagans. At that time, a severe famine struck the land of Canaan, forcing Abram to go down to Egypt where he lived as a what? A foreigner. Now this is weird because, because this is crossing the border of the land God promised to give him. He's, okay, what's going to happen now? I've got to go to Egypt? This is, God, where, where are your promises? And these circumstances piled up so big that to protect his family, to be able to feed them, he had to make a decision. Now, here's the challenge of reading Genesis. Here's another real practical part. We never get to see how God would have provided if he had refused to go. Because all we have is what actually happened. It doesn't come back and say, You know, if Abram wouldn't have done this, God would have provided manna from heaven. God would have provided, you know, food from the birds of the air, whatever. Uh, Like he did with the prophets or the children of Israel. But we don't get to see those miracles because Abram tried to make a decision based on the circumstances of his life. And I'm not in judgment on him for that. Because I've done the very same thing. I've made decisions. I've gotten ahead of God before. I've done it my own way and regretted it. But he's about to go down to Egypt and bad things are happening. Here's, Here's the point I want to make. Listen carefully to this. Sometimes it doesn't all just work out. You know when people come up to you and they say, well, it's all going to work out. Just slap them. (laughs) They're, They're not in your shoes. They're not enduring your pain. Listen, sometimes it all doesn't work out. People die in accidents. It didn't work out. People die from cancer and diseases and, and issues. Th- bad things happen. We're, we're in a culture and a dominion that is it's tough. And it doesn't always just work out. And so I'm, I'm a believer that trusts God. And I know, they, you know that passage, the 828 Romans, you know, all things work together for good. I get that. I believe that. But I think Christians are so good about pulling a verse like that and slapping it on your forehead or on the refrigerator and just kind of acting like everything... Everything is supposed to be what it is. This was not supposed to happen. And there was a better way for this to happen. So how am I going to respond when circumstances are not what I want them to be? Here's what I know. I know that God will always be with me no matter what the circumstance is in my life. He's always with me. I will either run away from Him or run toward Him. And, and people do both. But I know He's there with me. And sometimes... I make decisions that get ahead of God and I never see the response God really wanted to give me if I had waited. So that's the challenge about this. Listen, circumstances can change your direction. And circumstances can impact other people in your world in a positive or in a negative way. We're about to see that happen with this next point. It's challenging. Number four. Disobedience often leads to disaster. Now this is the part of the story where you just cringe because of what Abram is about to do with Sarai. Their names are going to change in a few weeks. And it's a real significant reason why they change. But right now they're still Abram and Sarai. Verse 11. As he was approaching the border of Egypt, Abram said to his wife, Sarai, look, you are a very beautiful woman. Oh, good." Wouldn't it have been nice if he would have just stopped right there? <laughs> Guys, learn from this. Okay? Learn from this. There's a there's time when you say you love her and she's beautiful. That's good enough. Okay? Then he says, look, you are very beautiful. You're a beautiful woman. She must have been like drop-dead gorgeous. Because in Scripture throughout it, when her name comes up, it almost always says, she was gorgeous. You know, and, and it's the biggest Hebrew words there are for beauty. And... And when the Egyptians see you, they're going to say, this is his wife. Let's kill him. (laughs) Wow. Then we can have her. So please tell them you are my sister. Then they will spare my life and they will treat me well because of their interest in you. Sure enough, when Abram arrived in Egypt, everyone noticed Sarai's beauty. When the palace officials saw her, they sang her praises to Pharaoh, their king. And Sarai was taken into his palace. Then Pharaoh gave Abram many gifts because of her. Sheep, goats, cattle, male and female donkeys, male and female servants, camels. But the Lord sent terrible plagues upon Pharaoh and his household because of Sarai, Abram's wife. So Pharaoh summoned Abram and accused him sharply. That means with great anger and wrath. What have you done to me? He demanded. Why didn't you tell me she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister and allow me to take her as my wife? Now then, here is your wife. Take her and get out of here. Pharaoh ordered some of his men to escort them, and he sent Abram out of the country along with his wife and all of his possessions. Wow. There's a crazy progression that we see in Abram that we have to talk about today. Because all of us have it. All of us have scenarios that we play through in our mind, whether they are real or not. Whether they will really happen or not. And we think they will really happen, and it causes us to make decisions based on what might happen rather than the facts. And we live our lives like that all the time. And I'm not sure how we can get out of living that way. We do not know, example, we do not know that the Egyptians would have killed Abram. But he thought they would. And that was enough for him to create a web of lies. Before he ever came to the border. Before he ever met any Egyptians. I would love to know what God's plan would have been in sparing Abram and Sarai when they came to Egypt. Because I think he would have found a different way to spare them. Not this way. This did not honor God. That's why the wrath of God came on the Pharaoh. This was not what God wanted him to do. But this is Abram's idea. It's Abram's plan based on a whole bunch of stuff. The first little dot in your your outline about the progression, look at the progression, is fear. Fear changes our decisions. Fear causes us to lock up. I mean, there are studies that that talk about people who just got so fearful that all they had to do was open a door and step out to save their life, but they, they were locked up and they couldn't even move physically because of fear. There are other words that you could put on this line. Matter of fact, go ahead and add them to that line. Add the word lust. Add the word greed. Because lust, greed, add the word addiction. All of those labels Start the progression that I'm about to tell you about. And we see it in Abram. All of those start that progression. It could be any of those words. Fear is what Abram's was. He was afraid that they would kill him. The second dot is this. He stops being truthful. He stops being truthful. He says to Sarai, let's tell them you're my sister. Let's not tell them you're my wife. Now here's the irony of this and it needs to be stated and this is going to shock some of you who don't follow the bible or know anything about this story all of this genealogy leading up to this point again there's no path there's no such thing as incest there's sarai is abram's half sister they have the same father his name is terah but they have a different mother sarah's like 10 years younger than abram and It was pretty common. There's three or four instances in the Bible where someone married someone from the family. And the thing is, the genetic codes at that time were so pure that God finally abolished that and stopped that because those genetic codes changed. And now we know what happens when the same bloodline mates with the same bloodline and all bad things can break out. That wasn't the case then. And uh, how did Cain get his wife? All those kind of Bible questions are within the family. And they live to be so old that there's lots of different generations. But the bottom line is, in Abram's mind, he thought it best to say, this is my sister, instead of saying, this is my wife, because he thought it would get him off the hook. And it did. But bad things happened. He just withheld the full truth. You following me? So what happens in our lives is when we are trying to protect ourselves, we stop being truthful. I mean like brutally truthful. And and things happen in our mind. I've been in a court of law before as a friend to someone who's in a trial. And I can remember this one occasion where when they swear in, they call it swearing in. The truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth. So help me, God. And... uh I remember an attorney saying to to one of the witnesses, let me remind you that you are saying this under oath. What does that mean? It means if you don't tell the truth here, you could go to jail. And I would like to believe that we as followers of the Lord live our lives every moment under oath. Right? Right? We tell the truth and sometimes that's difficult, but I'll tell you something young people listen to this young adults You need to hear this because if you make a habit in your life of really being honest Really being honest about what you did or what you said or the facts of something You will be more careful About what your actions are because you know you may have to explain it but if you get used to telling lies And you get away with it a few times and it's just really easy to exaggerate or not be completely honest or hide the truth. That's what Abram is doing. And again, he didn't have a road map. He didn't have the Ten Commandments. He didn't have the list of things to do and not do. He's figuring this out as he goes. And sometimes that's how we live our lives. We need to tell the truth. Number three, this is a huge word for us. Rationalization. We rationalize our logic, and it all takes place in our brain, and how we justify our decision to act according to what we think is best for us. I, I, you know, you know what the tough part about being a teacher on a platform like this is? Is that I, I have to try to like live all these things, like for real. Like you can just you can just take a few things that you want out of this and and forget the rest of it. But I got to try to. And I was driving. I was driving. After I'd been studying for this business, and I was going 46 miles an hour in a, a zone that was 40. And I looked at my speedometer, and I'm like, I'm speeding. But there's no cops around. Right? And I don't, I don't, I don't really think speeding like is a sin that like keeps you out of heaven or anything. But the Bible does. It, it is breaking the law. And we're supposed to be law-abiding citizens. So there's some, you know, I don't think it's a sin, so I can speed. If you think it's a sin, you better not speed it. No, just kidding. I shouldn't speed, and I knew that. But that's rationalization. Well, I'm in a hurry. Well, no one's around. I came to a red light really late after a meeting. It was like midnight, and, and I, <laughs> I was coming home from a trip, and, and it was like midnight, and I came to the light in, in our neighborhood, and it was red, and there is no car anywhere. I mean, as far as I can see at the whole intersection. And I'm stopped at a red light going, this is stupid, Why am I stopped? And it's just because the law says stop when the light is red. And I sat there and waited. I have to admit, when I saw the other one turn yellow, the other way I did kind of, I kind of jumped the gun a little, but I don't think God was mad. But we rationalize. We rationalize, right? I eat a a chicken salad, it's super healthy. Watch out for the next day and a half, because I'm going to be a glutton right? Because I ate healthy. That meal was good for me. And if I don't, if I don't watch it, everything in our lives, we can rationalize our behavior and we can walk right out of health. We can walk right out of mental health, emotional health, spiritual health, physical health. And it's not the place we should be. Number four, and this always is the result, consequence comes down to this. Our culture hates this word and the concept. You know, you reap what you sow. As a kid, I was always afraid of that statement because it's Bible, but I always heard it in a negative light. You know, God's going to catch you, and when He does, He's going to smack you. I saw a bumper sticker a while back that said, Jesus is coming back, and boy, is He ticked. (laughs) Didn't use that exact word, but I, I used that word. Every action has a consequence. And that can be really positive. If you sow good seed, you're going to reap some great things in your life. You know that? Praise God for that. You sow some seeds that are ugly and horrible, like this, like Abram did, you're going to reap some bad stuff. And the consequence was the Pharaoh is getting busted. He's getting killed. He's getting all these plagues. Listen, your decisions to compromise impact other people. Say, well, it's just my life. I'll do what I want. No, it isn't. It isn't just your life. Your, your decisions on how you live impact others. And the consequences are great. And many people suffer because of someone else's decision. And it matters to God. And so, man, Abraham finally has to come clean. And Sarai, when you think of Sarai, I feel so sorry for her. Because she's put into this harem. And, and no doubt a, a leader in the harem. Probably the, the greatest. But she's still part of this group. Many scholars say that the Pharaoh never slept with her, but the Bible doesn't say that. It's assumed by some, uh, but we don't know that for sure. We know that when they left, um, you can read, I already read it, but they, they got a bunch of cattle, sheep, donkeys, and it says servants. And we know that one of the servants, the Bible doesn't say this, but history shows us that Hagar probably came from that harem because we know Hagar was from Egypt. And that's another whole set of problems that we have later on when when Hagar is going to be the person who bears a, a son for Abram. And we'll talk about that when we get to it in the story. But that's what happens, see, is this progression is going to now go with Abram. The frustration of that decision is now going to be part of the traveling journey with him. All of us have a past, you guys, all of us have scars in our lives, and it's very real. But here's number five. The truth is revealed. The truth will always come out at some point in the end. It might not even be in this life. I believe many people take secrets to their grave. But they never keep it from God. And that's why you need to get that under the blood. You need to to come to God and say, Okay, I know this might be a secret with a bunch of people, but I know you know everything about me. And this is our chance, while we are yet living, to confess our sins to God and be redeemed. And then it is forgotten by God. And our lives are restored. You know, what's sad is in Genesis 20, Abram repeats this again with a different Pharaoh. And even if you have repeated your sin, even if you're in an addiction lifestyle, even if you just can't quite kick this habit, there is a God... Who loves you? Let me tell you the finale, the final. Here's what I want you to take home. We are really good at messing up our lives. And God is really good at putting them back together again. That's the hope we have in God. Pray with me. Lord, I am so thankful for you. I'm so thankful that my rationalization, my sin, my behaviors can come under that place of redemption, of healing. You have restored me. Thank you, God, for this church, your church, your family. Thank you for brothers and sisters. Lord, we, we recognize the mantle of grace that's on us. And we have messed up and we know it, but your love is greater. Your mercy is greater. Your grace is greater. Thank you for that. Lord, I ask you to touch the heart of every person in these rooms today. Talk to us right now. Show us your love. Reveal a plan. Some of us need to build an altar today. With heads bowed in this room, if you'd say, I need to build an altar of change. I need to put a stake in the ground that on this day, February 15th, I made a change in my life. And I'm accepting the promises of God for my future. This day could mark you forever put a stake in the ground today and build an altar some of you need to build an altar of thanksgiving to say God thank you for my journey thus far I appreciate you being in my life another thing I want to pray for is for those of you that are in that progression the progression of lies the rationalization some of you are suffering the consequence of some of your behavior God loves you He's here to redeem and heal you And I'm glad you came today. And I want you to accept that by faith. I don't want you to struggle that you're not good enough. We're not. But God has called us righteous through His blood. That's why He died on the cross for us. You can never be good enough or get good enough. You're going to struggle with sin the rest of your life. But we have a God who redeems us. And you can live in victory over that addiction. You can live in victory over that lifestyle, over those temptations. You really can. He will help you and His strength is sufficient for you. If that's you right now, would you just say, God, that's me? And just own it. And maybe you want to lift up your hand, maybe you don't, but if you do, just lift it up and say, God, I'm in the middle of this right now, and I really need your help. Lord, I just pray. I pray for some of those in this room that are in the consequence stage, that the truth is coming out, the challenge. Help them to see that you are with them amidst this challenge. Help them to have the faith, to trust, that you know what you're doing and you want to redeem them and you want to get them back on the path of restoration and hope and life and honesty and integrity and healthy, godly character. Lord, let us live with those things in mind, I pray. Change our hearts. Help us to know that you're real and powerful. We pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.